John 8, 31 to 36. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See what I mean? They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Many battles have been fought throughout history in the name of freedom. I'm sure some of you can tell me who said or shouted probably these famous words. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. Anybody? (laughs) Well, if you'd said Mel Gibson, you would be right in the film Braveheart. Actually, you'd be more right if you said Mel Gibson and not William Wallace, who he was portraying, because there's no record that William Wallace actually said those words at the Battle of Stirling Bridge in 1297. It was the 11th September, and the Scottish were fighting the English. What's new? Um, Indeed, you sometimes feel that the struggle is not over when you see the Scottish rugby team and their supporters singing, we'll send them home to think again, (laughs) begin before the start of of the rugby matches. But on a more serious note, I'm sure you watched some of the events of the 75th anniversary of the D-Day landings on June the 6th, 1944. And I know I was struck and brought to tears by the veterans who were reliving the event and remembering their fallen comrades. Some of them in France that day that hadn't been back since then. It was very moving. Do you know, freedom costs. People have made great sacrifices throughout history to secure freedom. Freedom to live. Freedom to vote, freedom to govern ourselves the way we want to, freedom to choose and so much more, freedom to worship, freedom to read the Bible. In fact, there are many across the world who are still longing for that freedom. But we see in our Western society something that is the very opposite. Our society no longer wants to be constrained and guided by scripture. And many no longer want to have to follow the moral compass of the word of God. Freedom is about having the right to do whatever you want to do, whatever feels right to you at the time. The right to choose with fewer and fewer boundaries. We see it in the abortion bill in Parliament at present. We see it in the desire for freedom to marry whom you choose, male or female, and even to choose whether you're identified as male or female or neither. There may soon be the freedom to choose the very sex of your baby. And do you know when designer babies become as easy to choose as designer handbags or designer trainers. I think we've lost something of the miracle of new birth. We also see the boundaries being pushed in the prolific marketing of gambling and alcohol, in the desire to have mood-enhancing drugs legalised, in the lack of ability or willingness even to control the access to pornography and prostitution. And especially at the moment, we see it in the, the rise of knife crime. It seems as if people feel that they have the freedom to take someone else's life for the most trivial of reasons. More and more people are claiming the right to think, to say, to do what they want. When they want to do it, and all in the name of freedom. No, not only has society pushed the boundaries, they've thrown them out. 
And they've also denied the existence of a God who put them in place for our well-being, for our good. And to suggest otherwise is considered intolerant. But there is a need for freedom. As we begin to think about these freedoms, we find that in reality they're not freedom at all. So many of these self-indulgent behaviours lead to addiction. And starts out as the right to choose, often becomes a force that you can't break free of. For example, last week, like many of you I'm sure, I watched the golf on Sky. And uh, I wasn't there, but I did, get to, I did watch it. I did, I did follow it. It was great. But I did, every now and again, every about 20 minutes, there's an advert. You know, it's a little space for adverts. But it's just not adverts for washing powder and the like. So many of the adverts in sporting events, as you'll know if you watch it all, are just filled with opportunities for gambling, encouragement to gambling. Just to take one example. And, you know, at the bottom of those wee gambling adverts, they'll put, when the fun stops, stop. But what we need to realise is, for many people, they can't stop. The stopping has become impossible. The addiction is there, and they can't let go. Self-indulgence becomes self-destruction. And eventually people realise that what they thought was their choice has, uh, and that they were in control of is really controlling them. And they're a slave to their behaviour. In John 8.34, and I'm starting in the, in the middle of the passage, Jesus made this statement. I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins or practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, most people will admit, we'll all admit, that we do wrong things at times. Even people will admit that they've done some bad things. But they don't like to label it with the word sin. We hear the phrase, nobody's perfect. It's only human. I'm only human. We are only human. But we are not the human that God designed us to be. We are human beings who have made our own choice. And in fact, those choices started right back in the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve chose to go their own way. Chose to do their own thing. That resulted in a fallen human nature that is in us all. Which means that not only do we sin by choosing to do our own way. Or to go our own way. We also live under the power of sin. Whether we want to admit it or not, we're slaves to sin with no power to control it. Paul recognised this in Romans 7 and 18. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, my sinful nature. For I desire to do what is good, but I cannot do it. John Piper would say that sin is not just a bad act, but the power underneath in our hearts that makes us do bad acts. We sin because we're sinners. Our slavery is slavery to this power inside us, in our very fallen human nature. But most people don't think of themselves as slaves. When we think of slavery, we think of Roman slaves, or the slaves who worked in the cotton plantations in the American South that the Civil War attempted to abolish. But slavery we still see in our world today. Only a few weeks ago, I switched on the news, and the headline story was the story of the Biggest example, the greatest example of modern slavery in the UK to date. 400 victims, you probably read it, living in filthy rooms, forced to work for 50p a day. They worked in farms and factories and all the money was taken except for 50p. They were living in these filthy conditions. They had come, a lot of these people had come from Poland and, and had been homeless and alcoholic when they were caught and brought with the promise of a new life. 
brought to the West Midlands and ended up under the control of a gang. That gang had made two million in the past five years from captives like this. Fortunately, those slaves were recognised as, as, as beings in captivity by the people in the soup kitchen who saw them as physically injured and emaciated and recognised them as being under, in slavery and reported them. The gang has been caught. But there are many more out there, even in our own neighbourhood. Human trafficking is a real issue today. Slavery has not been eradicated. There are still and always will be people in this world who want to benefit from the suffering of others. But we mustn't fall into the trap of seeing slavery only in terms of the abuse of other people. Or indeed, imagine that only wicked people who seek to kill, and steal and destroy are sinners. Romans 3 and 23 tells us, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in 1 John 1 and 8, we are reminded that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Even those who are happily enjoying the pleasures of this world, even the excesses of this world, and have not spiralled into obvious addiction, have failed to recognise that it all ends in death. The wages of sin is death. But I hear you say, but I'm not like those people. I'm not out enjoying the excesses of the world. I'm not out abusing people. I'm a good person. I help people. I go to church. I'm a God-fearing person. I've been brought up right. Yes, I make mistakes, but I'm not a slave. The Jews in Jesus' day responded in much the same way in John 8 and 33. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone, they said. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus was speaking in the temple courts during the Feast of Tabernacles, sometimes called the Feast of Booths. It was a celebration of God's delivery of the people from Egypt and his guidance and protection of them during their time in the wilderness. Even though the Jews in Jesus' day were under Roman rule, they still regarded themselves as free. They were under rule in their political circumstances, but they thought of themselves as free because of their inheritance. They were Abraham's children. And under the old covenant, they believed their salvation was assured, was guaranteed. However, what they had was religious devotion. What they didn't have was a relationship with their father, God, with Yahweh. This is what Jesus was stressing to them, and they didn't like it. He said in previous verses before those that we're looking at, in John 7 and 28, He who sent me is true, the Father, but you do not know him. And John 8 and 19, you neither know me nor my Father. If you knew me, you'd know the Father also. The same is true of many today, but not just those who follow other religions or no religion at all. We find the same thing true in Christian culture as well. Many people relying on their own good works, their moral and spiritual behaviour doing no one any harm, attending church. They're good, decent people. And they are. But they don't have a relationship with God the Father. They spend their lives in a constant struggle to keep the rules. And although that sounds much better than not keeping them, it means that it's a struggle. They still have no relationship with God. And so life's about ticking boxes, about getting it right. And about checking up that other people are getting it right too. And judging when they don't. 
There's very little peace in this, and there's certainly no joy. It's what the, re- the religion of the Jews was like at that time of Jesus. Religious leaders enforcing rules and laws that nobody could keep. But it hadn't always been like that. I was reading in my daily light recently, and I came in all across a well-known verse. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And I'd read that many times before. I'm sure I even have it on a, a bookmark somewhere. But I had, hadn't realized that it was from Nehemiah. And so I looked up the whole story. In this story, after Nehemiah and the workers had rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, right, Ezra the scribe got up to read from the book of the law. Now they'd gathered all the people, men, women and children, to hear, to stand and hear the book of the law read. And they did it for hours. And they all listened. And as the law was read, the people recognized their need to repent. How they had failed God. They'd been in exile, they'd come back, and now they were hearing how they'd failed God. And they were very sorrowful and mourning. And at that point, Nehemiah said to them, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have prepared nothing. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this day is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. On the second day, the law was read again, and this time they came across the teaching of Moses in Leviticus 23 on the Feast of Booths. Now, the Feast of Booths, as we said, was a celebration, a joyful celebration to remember how God had guided the Israelites in the the wilderness. And in there, they had made little booths. They made them from olive trees, branches, and myrtle, and palm trees. And they lived in these little booths. And there was a celebration for seven days, a real celebration of of God's guidance and protection of them, a joyful celebration. And so the Israelites at this time, on hearing this, found, amazingly saw that they were in the seventh month too. This was when it was being read. And decided that they would again celebrate the Feast of Booths. So they got the branches, the myrtle, the olive and the palm branches. They brought them together. They made the booths. They made them on the rooftops. They made them in the courtyard of Jerusalem. They made them all around where they were. And they had a time of celebration. And it says in verse 15 of Nehemiah, in that chapter 8, the whole company that had returned from exile built booths and lived in them. From the days of Joshua, son of Nun, the Israelites had not celebrated the Feast of Booths like this, and their joy was very great. How wonderful that they were rejoicing. But why such joy and celebration? was because they had returned, not just to Jerusalem, but they had returned to their God. Yahweh was back in charge. They knew what they had to do to follow him. They knew what he expected of them. They were back following their God. They were rejoicing. As I've said, it was during the Feast of Booze that Jesus was speaking. 
but there wasn't much joy about there. It had returned to the Jews t- expecting this law, these laws to be kept. And celebrations like this weren't happening. In fact, the religious readers were actually ready to kill Jesus and they didn't believe him. But what he was trying to stress and what annoyed them so much was that he was the way to the joyful relationship with God that we see in Nehemiah. And even more than that, he was the way to a restored relationship with the Father that wasn't based on just keeping the rules. He was the way, the truth and the life, but they couldn't see it. Or they didn't want to see it. But, he, but what he was saying is true. You could have a restored relationship with God the Father. Not based on having to keep the, the, the law. But based on believing him to be the son of God. He wanted them to realize just as he wants us to realize. That acceptance of what he said about himself as the truth. Would not only bring forgiveness of sin. But also adoption into the very family of God. Verse 35, it's amazing we line in here. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What a phrase to throw in there in the middle of that verse. A son belongs to it forever. Son with a small s. He's not talking about himself as son, but those who would believe in him. It's possible to have a restored relationship with God who made us. And it's in that relationship that we find freedom. This is the way to freedom. This is the truth that sets us free. As many of you know, before I retired last year, I was a physics teacher in Dromore High School. Not sorry to be leaving that. A big part of getting the pupils through GCSE physics and AS physics was getting them to learn the facts. Difficult to do, but vital. When I would talk about, and it was my mantra throughout my years of teaching that this was needed, but when I talk about that in front of the the headmaster, John Wilkinson, the previous one, um, he would say, Hazel, there's no such thing as facts. And uh, just to stir things up a wee bit. He was a bit of a philosopher or a thinker, or at least thought he was. But anyhow, he wasn't altogether wrong, even in science. Over the passage of time, many scientific facts that have thought to have been true have been actually proven false. Galileo, for example. Galileo came along and proposed that the earth orbited the sun. Now, the church leaders of the day arrested him. And in fact, he stayed under house arrest until his death. Still looking through his telescope out in space and ended up blind looking at the sun through the telescope. But that's another story. What, th- what they wouldn't believe, weren't willing to believe, was that the sun actually, that the earth orbited the sun and that the sun was at the centre. What they wanted to believe was because they were on it and God had created the earth, then the earth must be the centre of everything. And sure, if you look out, the sun goes up on one side and down on the other, so it must go round. But since was proved wrong. Before that, many believed that the earth was flat. But... Since astronauts have gone into space and we've seen photographs, we now know the Earth's round. Now, that's if you actually believe astronauts have gone into space. As we celebrate the 50th anniversary of Neil Armstrong walking on the moon last week, there are many who, st- many who still believe that it all happened in the Nevada desert or some uh, wild place on Earth that nobody would ever, ever seen 
and that they just filmed it there and that nobody went into space at all. So I don't know, you might have your own views on that. Personally, I believe they did walk on the moon and I have met an astronaut who has been to the space station uh, and taken photographs of the Earth and it is round. (laughs) But at the minute, anyway, slightly off round but round. Bottom line is the facts change. In fact, they can change daily. Today, butter might be bad for you. Tomorrow, it might be all right and go round again. So what is the truth? Regardless of what the facts say at a given time, truth is reality. I might, not want, so I might want to be able to play golf like Rory, even on a bad day. And he had a bad day. But the reality is very different. My niece Katie and I um, sometimes play at Edenmore and the other week when we were heading off down the fifth fairway after the ball, I said to Katie, in my head that was a really good shot. <laughs> but then I hit it. <laughs> and it wasn't so, so it's good. The reality was very different. So what is the truth that Jesus is talking about here? It's the reality for time and eternity. The reality. What is truly true. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the only way to be set free from our sin. He is the way to freedom. Because the power of of, of sin in our lives is real, there's nothing we can do to reach the standard of perfection that God sets. But before you blame God for setting the bar too high, we need to remember that it's God who takes the initiative and provides the answer. In Romans 5 and 8, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, there comes a stage in the struggle against sin when people are broken and can go no further. Or maybe it's in the struggle to be good enough every day that we eventually have to throw up our hands and surrender. Admit we're sinners, helpless to change ourselves. Do you know, I believe at this point, that's when the angels start to rejoice. And maybe even look at each other and say, at last, they realize they can't do it themselves. In admitting that we are sinners with no way to fix ourselves, we find that Jesus has done everything that is necessary for our salvation. We can be forgiven and set free from condemnation. Earlier I quoted from Romans 3. Uh, 23 and from Romans 6 and 23 well-known verses for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God but I didn't give you the whole story in fact it really quite annoys me when those half verses or half bits of truth are on banners and so on or walls of houses or whatever and you only hear half the story because the this verse continues for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through redemption that comes by Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus paid the price, bought us back, died to save us from death and hell. He frees us from the condemnation of sin by being condemned for us, by taking our place. But he frees us also from the power of sin by changing our nature at its very root through new birth. We become a new creation. That's what I want you to realize this morning. The power of sin is broken. And that's not all. We have peace with God then. 
and a restored relationship. We become sons in the family forever. We're free indeed. I never tire of, of quoting John 1, 1 John 3 and 1. How great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God. And then John goes on to say, as if he's thought about it for a minute, and that is what we are. If you have accepted Christ as your Saviour, you are a child of God, as the worship, as we sang in worship this morning. Are you fed up this morning trying to be good enough? Trying to keep the rules that are often self-imposed, but failing? Are you ready to throw up your hands and surrender? Fall at the foot of the cross and ask Jesus to save you. Do it. Do it right now. He's waiting, all of heaven and waiting, to rejoice when you come to Christ. When you stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in the one who loves you more than anything. Do it. Well, when Jesus said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, he wasn't referring just to that initial experience of salvation. He was also talking about a lifelong journey of walking with Christ. In verses 31 and 32, back to the start of the passage, to the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching and abide in my word, as the ESV puts it, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. At this time, Jesus was speaking to Jews who had just believed in him, just believed what he'd said as he was preaching. But that was only the start of their journey. Some may fall away, some would go on to follow. The key to the life of freedom is to be a true disciple. The freedom is in the following. To be a disciple of Jesus at that time was so much more, as we heard recently actually, than just listening or agreeing with what he said. A disciple was chosen by a rabbi to be with him over a long period of time, to do life with him, to hear what he said, but also to observe what he did, how he reacted to situations, how he made decisions. True discipleship was becoming like the teacher in thought and action. What a privilege to be called to be a disciple of Jesus. I read recently of a young lad who was on a beach being or somewhere and uh, he was on the beach and there he noticed as well that the famous footballer Lionel Messi was also there with some of his family so the young lad of course had a ball with him and started to kick the ball about as you would and Messi and his family joined in and he was delighted obviously and he said that Messi couldn't speak English. I don't know whether what his English is like, but it seemed that he couldn't speak English, so they couldn't really communicate by talking, but the young lad learned so much from him just by playing football with him and watching what he did and was so excited about it, he had, he had put it up on, on Facebook. If you're a budding football player, wouldn't it be great to have time spent with Lionel Messi or some famous person like that who's good at football? And to not just watch him play in a match, but also to hear what his warm-up routine is, what his training schedule is like, what his lifestyle tips are, to live life with him for a while. That would improve your football. Or if you're 
but, uh, want to be on Britain's Got Talent or The X Factor, <laughs> do you? Then, those of you who do, you know, what about boot camp? The chance to spend some time with your mentor, learning from them, seeing what they do, what, how they practice, how they use their voice and so on. You get the picture. You wouldn't be lying in bed if you could be learning something useful that might affect your future. If freedom is in the following, then we have to learn to follow Jesus closely, to live life with him, to learn from him, to be open about our weaknesses and to listen to his words. How wonderful it must have been for the original disciples to spend three years in Jesus' presence, learning all they could from him. Wouldn't it just be great to be able to do the same? Jesus is not in the flesh anymore. So how can we walk that closely? Well, as always, God takes the initiative. He has given us his Holy Spirit, the Comforter, one the same as Jesus, to live within us. You don't get much closer than that. When we become a Christian, he comes to live within us. Sometimes we forget that or don't think about it enough. That's what I want you to think about this morning. The Holy Spirit lives within you if you've accepted Christ. He's your counselor, your guide, your teacher and trainer. But even more amazing, he gives us the power to follow Christ, to become like Jesus. He gives us the power to do that as we submit to him. It's the Holy Spirit who enables us to hold the teaching of Jesus, to abide in his word. He makes the Bible a living word to us by prompting us to do the right thing. Those little prompts you hear when, um, as a Christian when you need to do something, to speak to someone, to, uh, to do the right thing and not the wrong thing, to, to hold your tongue <laughs> rather than speak out. Those little prompts are the Holy Spirit prompting you to live right. He convicts us when we do go wrong. He convicts us quickly and we need to listen quickly. He reminds us of the grace that is there when we mess up. And by producing the very character of Christ, he produces the fruit of the Spirit in us. And he doesn't just enable us to become like Jesus in character, but he also empowers us with supernatural, to do the supernatural works that Jesus did through the gifts of the Spirit, which he gives to us as we seek him. So what do we have to do? We have to trust and obey. Trust, us, trust that what Jesus says about himself and what he says about us is true. And obey the prompting of the Spirit as he guides us in our daily lives. We have a daily choice to make. We have to put off the old self. We have to choose not to follow the deceitful desires, the things that would bring us down. We have to put on the new self and choose to be like Jesus, created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. But we don't, the key is we don't do it without help. We don't do it in our own strength. So often we try to do it in our own strength. We get up in the morning and say, I'm not going to say a crossword today. (laughs) And we get to 10 o'clock and we've messed up already. We need to do it in the strength of Jesus, in the power of his spirit. Ask him to help us. We need to choose to be led by him, to listen to him. The more conscious we become of the presence of God within us, the more we will experience real freedom. But it's a process. It is a journey. 
But we should not make that an excuse not to make progress. And there are some things that hinder us as we walk. You know those situations where, um, in films where there's someone has escaped from prison, but they've maybe been travelling on a bus or whatever, and they've been transporting from one place to another, and they've been shackled. They've been, uh, had leg irons on. And whatever happens, and the bus turns over and the chains get broken, and they are able to escape, but the leg irons are still there, and they're dragging them along, and it's, it's really hard to walk. And eventually some, somebody will hammer them off for them. But you know the picture. Sometimes in our Christian life, we can be saved, assured of our place in heaven, know that our sins are forgiven, but still allow shackles on our feet to drag us down. They come in many forms. Maybe it's doubt about the reality of your salvation. That's a lie of the enemy. Maybe it's the struggle to give in to temptation. There's help for that. A fear about the future and God's willingness to provide. Note it's God's willingness to provide. We, we do believe that God can provide. He's the Lord of all. He created the universe. Sometimes we doubt he'll provide for us. Will he provide for me? You know me. I know me. You might not know me, but I know me. Will he provide for me? Another lie of the enemy that he won't. Maybe it is the struggle with addiction, something that you can't break free of, and you return to the old sources of comfort when the going gets tough. Or maybe it's that you've no sense of spiritual purpose, whether through insecurity or inferiority, whether through unresolved guilt or even unforgiven sin in your head, or the lack of courage to step up. Oh, there's more. Whatever it is in your life that's hindering you from trusting and surrendering to God. Sometimes the, sh- the shackles feel as if they're still there, even when we know they're gone. Like a ring when you take it off your finger and it feels like it's still there. Sometimes we experience a measure of freedom and then something ensnares us and we're, we lose the faith to fly. It's so easy to forget about the power within us. That's what I want you to hear today to think about again, to realize again that we do have power within us, power to live this Christian life, and do we need it? But it's there. When we do that, we stop listening. When we forget about the power, we stop listening to the word, we stop reading the promises, and we allow ourselves sometimes even to grind to a halt. We start to listen to the lies of the enemy, telling us we're not making it, telling us we're no good, telling us we've messed up again telling us we'll never do what someone else can do and what you don't need to do anyway, but telling us lies about ourselves. And those lies can become a flood that just overwhelm us and we sit down and decide, right, I can't do this. I can't do this Christian walk. And we just give up. Or maybe it's part of that and we're just trudging along still struggling on one side with the faith on a Sunday and the encouragement of worship and meeting with friends and then we're on our own, we're just struggling to make it, make it work. This is you this morning and it's all of us at some time or other. Remember two things. Firstly, you are still a child of God. If you have accepted Christ as your saviour, you become a son forever. You are still a child of God even when you don't feel it. He hasn't given up on you and no one can snatch you out of his hands. His grace is still available. And he waits as a father to welcome you back like he did with the prodigal. 
his arms wide open to welcome you back and remind you of your sonship. Sometimes we think the son in the prodigal son story only became a son when he came back. He was a son before he left. He was a son while he was away. But he was reminded of his sonship when he came back. He was put back into that position of sonship and recognized it again. And we need to do that too sometimes. We need to get up and walk back to our Heavenly Father. Allow him to embrace us. Be forgiven. Forgiven for doubting. Forgiven for wanting to go our own way. Sometimes we just choose to do that for a while. But we need to come back. You're still a child of God. And secondly, the Holy Spirit hasn't left you. You still have the power within you to enable you to not only get up and walk, but to fly, to run. The power of the old human nature is broken in your life. But you have to decide to be led by the Spirit. I suggest that we read through Romans 8 if you want some more teaching on that. You are a new creation. You don't have to be controlled by the old pattern of your life. The shackles are gone. I feel a wee chorus coming on, but I'm not going to sing. You'll be glad. (laughs) They're gone. Don't put them on again. And don't let the devil tell you they're there when they're not. And both of those things are just as important. Sometimes we put the shackles on again by the, the, as, as Craig would say, by messing up ourselves. We're quite good at that. But we also believe the lies of the enemy at times. So the shackles are gone. The Christian walk isn't easy. But if we're led by the Spirit to follow the teaching of Jesus, we discover that all God's promises are true. He addresses our doubts. He quells our fears. He assures us of his love and acceptance. He provides a way out of temptation and addiction. And you know, he gives us a purpose for living that brings joy and fulfillment. And more than that, and totally amazing, that impacts eternity. God's purpose for you impacts eternity. That's freedom. What greater freedom is there than that? Peace, protection, provision, purpose. That's what he gives us. Freedom's not the desire or the ability or the opportunity even to do just what you want to do when you want to do it. Some people say that about retirement. (laughs) But it's not that. The world would like to think it's that. And would like to think they're free when they make such decisions. But ultimately it ends in destruction. Real freedom is choosing to trust and obey. Be accepted, secure and significant in the family of God. Which is what you are. And empowered by God to be everything he made us to be. That's freedom. It's summed up very well by the psalmist, as it usually is. By the psalmist in 119, verse 32. I run in the paths of your commands, for you have set my heart free. I run in the paths of your commands. I follow you closely. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to know you better, for you have set my heart free. As we believe what Jesus has done for us, as we believe that our sins are forgiven, that the power of sin over us is broken 
and does not need to control us. That there is help and strength in this Holy Spirit within us to live this Christian life. Then even in those down days, we can get up. We can get up and walk. We can get up and run. We can get up and fly. We can be who he wants us to be. And when we stumble, he will lift us up. Because he has us by our right hand. In his right hand. And he holds us. That's freedom, folks. That's what freedom is. Freedom is following the Lord who made us. That's true freedom. So let us choose today to be true disciples. To follow closely to his teaching. To surrender our lives to him. And to experience true freedom as we walk with him. Through this life and into eternity and glory. If there's something that is hindering you this morning, there'll be prayer ministry at the end. But even now, bring it to him. Let those shackles go again. Be set free. And trust again. Just dwell, even today. Dwell again. Focus again. Just Not just in your head. This isn't just a mindset. Oh, I know the Holy Spirit's with me. This is real. The Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is is in us. He is real, the person of God within us. So we do have strength. It's not just I can, I believe I can, I will. It's more than that. He is the power within us to live the life he wants us to live with the saving grace that catches us when we fall.